Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This is CJ Pearson Uncensored. You really have to look at those situations from a perspective of, do we want endless war? Absolutely not. Do we want kinetic war with Afghanistan? Do we want war with China? Obviously, we don't want those things, but the best way to prepare those things is to have that credible threat of deterrence. Hi, guys. Welcome to CJ Pearson Uncensored. This week, super excited to have my good friend Jack Posobiec joining us. And we're going to talk about a lot of things. Afghanistan, some incredible products he's working on from a children's book that is really aimed at fighting back against the indoctrination that all of these companies are trying to force down little kids' throats. Yeah, like you heard me right. They're literally trying to make little kids communists before they even get to school. Like very real battle and I've always said it, we need to reach young people, not just when they're in college, not just when they're in high school, but really in their most formative years. And it starts with projects like the one that Jack is working on. But also for those of you who are familiar with Jack Pasovic, you also know that he has a very extensive background in military intelligence. So I'm gonna have a deep dive with him about everything that's happening in Afghanistan, what's going on, what this means. And also, too, most interesting about Jack Posobiec is like the way that he somehow gets all these Biden staffers to talk to him. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But we're going to ask him about that, too. He'll join us right here after the break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hi guys, welcome back to CJ Pearson Uncensored. Super excited uh, today to welcome Jack Pasovic uh, to the pod, senior editor over at Human Events these days. Busier than ever, Jack. Thanks so much for taking the time. Hey, CJ. Always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, it's just been amazing to watch your career just explode on the scene across social media and now terrestrial, traditional media. I mean, you are absolutely killing it, and I'm really excited to be here on the pod today with you. I appreciate it, man. Well, the thing about you is like I, I think you set the pace. It's it's insane the way that you have found an ability to just consistently and constantly break news, even when Donald Trump is no longer in the White House. And so like how how do you do it you know, these <laughs> days, right? Like 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 who who is that Biden uh, that Biden staffer who just keeps Jack Posobiec on speed? Oh yeah, yeah. Let me just uh, let me just out all my my network in the White House <laughs> on the on the CJ Pearson pod for everyone. No, so <laughs> hey, so essentially though, you know what? It, I mean, there's so there's two kind of questions you you sort of asked there. First is like how you know the pace of things, and you know when I was in the Intel community, you know, sitting on the watch floor was actually something I used to really enjoy watching all the different traffic come in for a certain threat set um, or looking at a, a certain portfolio. So for me, it was typically East Asia, though I did spend some time doing counterterrorism to Guantanamo Bay, um, came face to face with Taliban members, Al Qaeda down there. And then, so I'm just kind of used to working in that pace, used to kind of always having that speed and always been a voracious reader. So, you know, anytime someone sets me a topic, I say, man, I just want to read everything that there is on that topic. So I know everything about it. And then when something breaks, I can put it into that context so that I can have a historic understanding and a contextual understanding of what it is that's coming in. And then as far as the the Biden stuff, you know, it, it's funny because, um, you know, Candace actually asked me about that as well when I was on uh, on her show. And I'll just say that, um, you know, let's 
there are people that are on different sides in the Biden White House right now. You know, I used to call it the shade war, um, but I think it's kind of out in the open now. So I don't even know if we should be calling it shade. It's just it's just the war right between Biden and Kamala. Look, we know this was, you know, kind of a shotgun marriage to begin with. Neither of them were, you know, close friends or anything like that. But at the same time, of course, uh, they were both happy to be there. Um, you know, that, I'm, I was told actually that video of Kamala, you know, saying, Joe, we did it. You know, that was genuine. I mean, they really did not think they were going to win um, until the kind of closing hours there when, you know, sort of we all know that, that very controversial ending. And so uh, that was a genuine response on her part. So they're happy to be there. But at the same time, they never have been the best of friends. Everybody knows she wants to be the one in the main seat. Um, though I would argue that possibly she's not looking at one. She's kind of glad that Biden is the one there right now because she doesn't want to have to be the one who's cleaning up all of this stuff. And that is why, by the way, if you guys remember, she did not stand with him when he gave that press conference about Afghanistan. Uh, this is the vice president, Kamala Harris, who's always stood next to Biden when he makes these types of statements. She's always there saying, of course, in the past that she was the last person in the room when he finalized the withdrawal plan. And every time since they were elected that we hear the administration talked about, remember, they always say, what do they say? Biden-Harris administration, Biden-Harris administration over and over. That's the brand name that they've been pushing. And yet all of a sudden it's, oh, nope, no, 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 that's, that's all Joe. That's all Joe. That's not me. So do you think that's a little bit of, I, I don't know, it's kind of like karma in a, in a way? Like, I think like maybe Kamala's been waiting for this, you know, like she was given the entire border crisis to handle by, by Joe, obviously inherited um, or cultivated more so an absolute shit show down there and was just absolutely just hammered for that. Maybe she's just sitting back right now and is just like, wow, now you're getting a taste of what you tried to do to me. And I think maybe that speaks to kind of the, the, the in-house battles that we've witnessed from the Biden administration where you have Team Kamala and Team Biden just – you know, now you're saying like, it's it's becoming more public, just knifing each other. Right. And so I, I think a lot of people uh, remember that one of the greatest examples I can give folks of this was when Kamala was giving that interview down in Ecuador. And she said, oh, I'm focused on, you know, I'm focused on the core factors, the core factors of migration. And she says, oh, well, you, they said, well, you've never been to the border. And she said, well, I've never been to Europe. And a lot of people were very confused and it seemed very strange that she were to make a comment like that. Like, what does Europe have to anything to do with this? We're not talking about immigrants from Europe. And also the U.S. obviously doesn't have a border with Europe. Well, what she was talking about was the fact you have to kind of go back and put things in context. We were talking about the context just a minute ago that Jill Biden and Joe Biden were on their way to the G7 at the time, which was held in Europe. That was in the UK. And so she was throwing out a fairly pointed and not really well-veiled Barb at Jill Biden because Kamala wanted to be on that trip as well. But Jill kind of pushed her into this position. Team Biden really pushed her into this position. Jill is a huge part of that, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know that she would be going down to Ecuador while they are going to the G7. And by the way, 
they've had a habit of using Kamala Harris's schedule like this, because, of course, the president uh, has a lot of say over that. His team has a lot of say over that. That is why, by the way, you're now seeing her not being involved with Afghanistan. But they had originally set her up for this trip where she's going to be going to Singapore and Vietnam next week. Seems like something that's completely off the news cycle, just has nothing to do with anything that's going on right now. And yet she probably is actually really excited about getting out of Dodge so that all of this can't get pinned on her. You said something really interesting there. Speak to that dynamic. So I don't think people really think that Jill Biden has the amount of influence that that she wields. And I thought I, that's been the most interesting revelation I've seen you kind of talk about is how Jill Biden is actually a pretty big player in the Biden White House. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen this with you know, presidents in the past, like with Wilson and FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt, where uh, the first ladies have played more of an active role, of course, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton. And I don't mean to say that it's anything necessarily like one of those. It's just that we know that there have been times where first ladies have played a larger role in policy in decision making, and really in that schedule changing. And we are seeing that angle with Jill and Joe. Uh, keep in mind that when Joe wants to go back to Wilmington, he spent a lot of weekends there. We hear he's going there this weekend again for a long weekend. Um, a lot of that is because he views that as his home. He doesn't view the White House as his home. Remember when um, when he was vice president before, he didn't spend a lot of time in the White House. That uh, that was somewhere where you know there's been reports that Obama never even brought him into the residence there, and so he still doesn't really view that as. Uh, a place of safety, a place of security for him. He's not comfortable there. Whereas in Wilmington, even as he was senator, we know that for all those years, uh, he was a commuter, right? He would commute back and forth. And so that's what he's been used to for the past 50 or so years while he's been in and out of D.C. And so with Jill, him going back and forth, she's also been on those trips. So she's a very close advisor to Biden and really someone who urged him to run all the way back in 2019 to the point where a lot of people point out that they're not even sure if Biden would have run if it hadn't been for Jill's urging way back when. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, to switch uh, tracks a little bit, but also uh, just really fits with your background so well, with what's happening in Afghanistan right now is so interesting because it's like you have people on the left who want to play this whataboutism game. Well, Trump wanted to leave too, but Trump had a plan to leave. And, and, and I think that's the big part of this. Like no one wants to fight these endless wars. M many people, especially my age, think about it, like I'm 19 years old. We have been there as long as I've been alive. And oftentimes we're asking ourselves, why are we still there? So I think you'll find people on both sides of the aisle who are just like, yeah, like we shouldn't be there, but there's a difference between us being there and leaving and then just, just randomly decide to leave all hat all haphazardly and, and creating the power vacuum that we did. And so like to, to people who don't really understand like the Afghani issue and really the, the contrast between what Donald Trump wanted and what President Biden decided to do as someone who, who, who was in this world for so long, what's really going on and what isn't the media accurately reporting about this? Right. And so the, the ways to look at this are pretty similar. And the, probably the best context I could put it in is, do you have a situation where America is making these negotiations, whether it be with Afghanistan, whether it be with China? Are we doing things from a position of strength or a position of weakness? And so when you're doing things from a position of strength, it's we are using 
our military force to provide a credible deterrent, right? This is the whole point of deterrence in geopolitical strategy to prevent bad actors from performing nefarious acts. Um, this, The great example of that you could look at from the Trump administration is when the U.S. embassy was threatened, right, by local militias. Now, this was in Iraq. When it was threatened by the Shia militias that were backed by Iran, what did Trump do? He immediately took out the Iranian general who was in charge of all those militias. He just he took him out. He wiped him out with the, with a drone strike uh, very, very quickly within days, I believe. And so that is a situation where there is now a credible threat to the rest of that fighting force that anyone else who attempts to harm the a U.S. soldier or a member of the U.S. embassy or even that facility itself, that is what's going to happen to you. Even if your people do it, he is going to hold the leaders responsible. Yet you, when you look at Biden, there is only a position of weakness. And that is why why the CCP, on the other hand, is now immediately throwing themselves into that vacuum and saying, this is what America will do on the world stage. They're sending messages now to the Hong Kong protesters for democracy and, of course, sending messages across the Taiwan Strait to Taipei and the leaders there saying the U.S. will not have your back. You might as well just surrender now and make things go easier on you because your great ally has turned out to be a paper tiger. So you really have to look at those situations from a perspective of do we want endless war? Absolutely not. Do we want kinetic war with Afghanistan? Do we want a war with, you know, shooting war with China in the Pacific Ocean? Obviously, we don't want those things. But the best way to prepare those things is to have that credible threat of deterrence. Yeah, uh, peace through strength, right? And I think that's like the biggest thing that <clears throat> I think no one is scared uh, of Joe Biden. You know, legitimately, no one is scared of him. And and at the end of the day, like that was Trump's that was his his advantage in all of this. People never knew how far he was willing to go, and I think that that's. I, I saw this tweet, and and it, it was so right on the money. It's like the difference between like Joe Biden and Donald Trump was like Donald Trump was one of those like fuck around and find out presidents, where it's like they genuinely were like. I don't want to know what this man will do to us if we actually try the United States. And I get like the entire like liberals like we don't want to govern with fear. But that fear that Donald Trump instilled within our enemies kept America safe. They kept our allies safe for four years. Like none of this ever happened when, when, when President Trump was in the White House. Right. And I do think that for a lot of this stuff, a lot of the gaslighting that went on during the Trump years from the mainstream media that people saw is something that's now starting to fade away. And as people really compare the two presidencies, the two administrations, they're seeing the night and day of it. And they're finding it very hard to remember, well, why was it, you know, okay, we didn't like the tweets all the time. And sometimes he would say things that we, you know, we thought were kind of silly, or, you know, it got chopped up, but the way that he talks, it, you know, makes it uh, easily susceptible for that. But at the same time, the world didn't seem to be in the kind of chaos that we would see today on the geopolitical stage. And the reason for that very much so is that he kept a lot of this stuff in check. He kept ISIS in check. On many ways, he kept China in check until, of course, 
uh, COVID-19 hit, which is a complete other situation, but his policies were putting the world safer. And so a lot of people, they're looking at this, you know, somebody like me, you know, who has a, a clear memory of the Obama years, you know, uh, something I tweeted last um, week, I think, was I said, you know, it was really nice having about four years of a break from all of this chaos in the Middle East and all of this insanity, because that's what having, you know, they call it the wild man theory of geopolitics. So if you have a wild man who you don't know what he's going to do, um, you're going to back down and not do anything, right? This is, they used to say this about Reagan during the Cold War, by the way, that he was talking about putting missiles in space and using those to uh, be able to shoot down uh, any Russian or Soviet um, artillery that was shot off or ballistic missiles and all this. And, you know, it wasn't actually done, but it was the idea that he was even threatening it credibly that really made them think twice about whether they were willing to do something. That's huge. And I think like really the biggest thing is, is in, in your opinion, where does this put us as far as our reputation on the world stage right now? Is our standing weakened or is this something that we can rebound from or like where, where does this place America in your eyes? You know, I think that a lot of people view Joe Biden as kind of the last of the neoliberal presidents. You know, you can look at George Bush is a neoconservative, Bill Clinton as a sort of proto-neoliberal, Barack Obama as the quintessential neoliberal, um, whereas Trump was kind of a throwback, right? Trump was kind of a throwback to like a pre-90s Democrat almost, right? And just in terms of, you know, he wasn't the, like a, a doctrinaire conservative on a lot of things, particularly when it comes to economics. Uh, he's more of a populist, and but he was also very strong on foreign policy, right? And so, and I think that's his background. I think that's where he comes from. And so when you're looking at this sort of post-Cold War alignment type of situation, the questions now that a lot of people look at, they talk, you, you're hearing phrases like uh, imperial overreach, imperial decline, uh, the decline of America on the world stage, and a reforming because the decline of America on the world stage will, regardless of you know whether we want it or not, will lead to the rise of China. It plays into China's hands. That's why you're seeing investment firms like BlackRock, who just put out a statement earlier this week that said that from their internal investment institute, they're saying they don't view China as an emerging power anymore. They are an emerged power. They are a developed country and people and they're urging people to triple their investments in China right now because they view China as the rising power. It took a year, a year for Joe Biden to turn America into an assessment. And, it, and it, it's sickening to watch it, because it's just like, Look at what's going on. Like it, when I look at this entire conflict, it, it breaks my heart for many reasons. But most certainly because of the fact that we invested twenty years there, and we lost so many lives, we lost so many just resources fighting this endless war. And in a matter of a week, eleven days, Joe Biden just throws it all away. And as a veteran, I know, like, like, what does that? How does that make you feel? You know, like you you follow people who, who you know who served there. Like, what what? How are they talking about this situation right now? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, so, I, like I said, I, I never, um, even though I'm a veteran, I never served in Afghanistan. Though I did, um, you know, work counterterrorism operations from Guantanamo Bay and a variety of other things. Folks I've talked to that did serve there, they had a very emotional weekend because they had situations where they were processing things of. Friends they left behind in Afghanistan, teammates that they left behind, folks who made the ultimate sacrifice. 
and a lot of emotions that are associated with that as to, you know, why did we do this? What was the end state? Where were we going with this? Were we trying to nation build and impose um, universal liberal Western values on a country in Central Asia? Uh, and was this something that was ever destined to succeed or was it doomed to failure from the start? And so there's a lot of questions from that angle. And then also number two is that a lot of OEF veterans have said to me, they worked with people that are getting left behind, people who helped them, people that were just as much part of a lot of these operations as they were. And so they want to know what's going on with those guys that I trusted with my life and promised that we would take care of. And now we're not able to help them. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. What do you think as far as like the road ahead, what's next? And then really to go to go from that point and in terms of everything that you're working on right now, you know, where do you see this kind of going as far as impacting 2024? Do you think this is going to lead to more of a, a Trump rebound as far as him? Because he's been really front and center on this issue. I think he's been more active about this than he really has been about even prior Biden fumbles. Like, do you think this is going to be kind of that um, that catalyst for Trump getting back into the arena here? Well, I, I really do think that if if Trump wants to get um, elected again, and and I, I, of course, I spent time with him not long ago. I was out in Phoenix uh, for the rally there with Turning Point USA that he did, or excuse me, it was Turning Point Action uh, that held the event. Um, and he put it this way. He seemed like he was ready to run then. If you watched him in his Hannity interview just recently, I mean, this seems like a guy who is running for office. Again, he feels like something was stolen from him and he wants to get it back. That's just his mindset in terms of all of this. And now when he looks at the situation that's going on with Biden, the situation that has created such a mess on the world stage, I think he realizes that this is his best opportunity to strike. And that's definitely something that that Trump has been known for. He's a he's a counterpuncher. So he knows to wait until the opponent is at its weakest. And then that's when you move in. So that's what you're seeing him do. That's why all of a sudden, it seems like he's bursting back on the stage, not just, you know, kind of posting those um, press releases, a sort of daily like tweet not tweet press releases now he's back he's doing a lot of interviews he's going to be holding a rally on saturday night in alabama one of his strongest states so he's going to be with a lot of his stronger supporters and quite frankly you know i think that it's a situation where you do have a lot of people now we're seeing in the polling movement among the independents and even some of the more moderate democrats to say you know what we liked biden biden's strongest issue was always uh covid19 that was the biggest one now all of a sudden COVID seems to, you know, we're having these breakthrough cases, the Delta variant, the Lambda variant breaking out throughout South America. Doesn't seem like that's going very well. And on those more traditional presidential issues like foreign policy, which is absolutely something that presidents are uh, on the hook for, right? They are seeing a complete collapse of foreign policy. And they're saying to themselves, you know, this just didn't happen under Trump. Good 
good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I think that, I, you know, when when Trump first lost, I, th- I, I said, I, th- I think it's important that America go through this stage, the stage where we don't have gas um, at gas stations, this stage where consumer goods are increasing in price, where they really get to feel the impact of their choices. And I think it's important for young people definitely to feel like that, because I know like a lot of people my age, they didn't vote for Trump because they were they were off put by how mean he was in their eyes. Actually, if if I could throw something out there, because I, I, I'm, I don't want people to just look at this as Biden versus Trump. Okay, it's what they represent. Biden represents the status quo. He's the status quo before Trump. Right? We are throwing our country into this global um, economic market. We are going to be just sort of a consumer goods. Um, you know, we're the consumers of international products. We work in the service sector. We don't build anything. We don't manufacture, you know, and we are just sort of, and you see when Biden's going and he has to go shut down us oil production and then go to OPEC and beg them to increase production, right? That's Jimmy Carter, right? This is a policy that was in place a long time. This is a paradigm that was in place a long time before Biden uh, became president. Now he was Senator throughout all of it, but I want people to understand that this, this, these are two paths, right? One was this path of sort of this international, global, pro-China push where the U.S. had been on for a very long time. And then Trump, what he represented was a turn back towards populism, towards the people, towards the country. Can we use our own resources? Can we develop our own resources? What can we do for American workers? Can we bring manufacturing back? Do we need to be involved in the Middle East as much? Do we need to have such uh, trade exposure to China, economic exposure to China? These are the two different representations of both sides when you're talking about it from an economic perspective perspective. And that I believe as well as, you know, we talked about the foreign policy perspective. And so I really, you know, the strong military versus the the light touch. And so I really want people to try to, you know, I know it's tough, but take the personalities out of it and just look at it as two distinct paths that the country could go down. That's huge because it's, it's about more than, like you said, it's about more than who they were, but it's about really what they represent. And I think if you look, you, yeah, you take Trump out of, you look at what he was really a reaction to, it was this idea of like, you know, the, the, the left loves to have a, 
a monopoly on the word disenfranchise. But what he really did speak to were truly disenfranchised people who felt abandoned by the elites, who felt as if they were, you know, left astray, working hard, getting nothing in return, and 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 just had no path forward in America anymore. And I think like that's so significant in the sense that like he was really speaking to this really raw emotion that had built up in America over you know, quite a few years. And the reason it's not talked about in that way is because the media can never find they're, they're all, you know, in New York, they're in DC, they're in this bubble. They never can really find uh, it. I have yet to really find a reporter who's able to put themselves adequately in those people's shoes. Like, you know, we've been there, Jack, you know, when we go to these rallies, when we go to these marches and all these things, these people are real and their emotions are real and authentic and passionate because they care. And they really do feel abandoned by these elites and they have every right to be. And and I think that like it, it's so interesting when you're on the road because it's just like you really get like you interact with that like face to face and you see it. And it's not just something that you see on Twitter, but it's something that manifests in real life. Like people, people want better. They want more and they want to be heard. And I think that that's the thing that's going to happen more, more often is this, this is really going to force people just really, I think care more and i think that's a that's a net plus for the country if we can make that happen yeah i think that's really what it comes down to you know you you got to kind of like take personality out of it sometimes and then also just look at the policy and figure out okay this person's policies are going to lead us here this person's policies are going to lead us there let's focus on that because that's what affects me that's what affects my family that's what affects my job and my economic well-being and my economic future more than what they put on Twitter. So in terms of everything, I know that you're super busy guys. So like what, what's all going on with you in terms of projects, all that good stuff. I know that you had a children's book come out. Tell us a little bit about that. I know you have, you have two kids these days. How's that going? How's father treating you? And then really tell like, you know, I know you've done, you know, you were in the journalist lane, still are, of course, but now like as an author creating these books, which I think is so important because just biblically you think about it, you know, raise a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they'll never depart from it. And I think the left, we've already seen at Project Veritas of that huge expose. They're literally trying to indoctrinate kids using toys. So we might as well start early. Talk a little bit about your philosophy about when it comes to that project and, and, and where you see it going. Well, yeah, so uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. So we are doing this. Um, it's basically a children's book series. Um, Ashley St. Clair is involved. Uh, she just put out the book. Uh, that was the first one in the series that kicked it off. It's Elephants Aren't Birds. Um, then the next one, we, we have one coming out. I think it came out today, actually. came out uh, in August 19th, where it's... Uh, Little Lives Matter. This is a pro-life book. It's all about explaining that pro-life issue at an early age. My book, which is coming out soon, it's a book all about the dangers of communism. But we don't actually use the word communism in the book. Uh, What we use is the explanation of when someone comes and offers you the world, when someone offers you everything, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, So uh, mine's called the island of free ice cream. And it's, you know, the idea is that uh, there's no such thing as free ice cream. And so it's for people to understand that 
idea that when someone's promising you the world, what they're really promising you into, at least in terms of this economic situation and really just a government control situation, it's you're giving up your freedoms to allow that other person to make those decisions for you. And it's, you know, we're trying to do it through, it's it's a fun story. It's actually an adventure story. They get stuck on this island that's run by, uh, you know, they think they're going there for free ice cream, but it's actually run by wolves and they're all trapped and it's, you know, like a gulag kind of island. And it's, it's got a good adventure story about how they escape and run back to the other island where the wolves are trying to trying to take over uh, by promising everybody free ice cream. And so I think it's done in a way where you can present some of these ideas, which, you know, and rather than going into the sort of like heady uh, economic theories that people might be more exposed to later in high school or college, it's just starting to have those conversations at a younger age and explain to people, because look, as you say, like I've got a three-year-old and an eight-year-old or excuse me, an eight month old. Um, my eight month old is teething right now. So we haven't been gotten, getting a lot of sleep because of that. Um, but you know, poor guy actually broke a fever the other day, just, um, just because his teething was going so bad. You know, you, you think about how much, how rough that's got to be. You know, they say we would be all taking like morphine and, uh, you know, crazy amounts of painkillers if that happened to us as adults. You know, you've literally got bone pushing through your, your gums. Um, and so I just, I feel bad for the guy, but, you know, we are doing great. He's exploding by leaps and bounds in terms of his growth. My three year old, I mean, he's reading. He's, you know, we do the Pledge of Allegiance every day. We do the, uh, uh, the Our Father every day. I'm, I'm already starting to teach him in Latin a little bit. Uh, and as Roman Catholics, it's very important to us. And so you're just watching their growth, watching their lives take off has really made me think, you know, what kind of legacy am I going to leave for them? But then also putting me in the mindset of, okay, I'm here. I'm at human events. Now I'm writing. What other things can I create uh, from a writing perspective? What other projects can I do that are going to have a lasting effect? And I really think that working on, on these books is a good way to do that. So do you think like raising a family, has that really underpinned or become a bigger kind of guiding light of your work since then because i feel like the way hearing the way that you talk about your kids i feel like maybe that did cause a shift for you like i think like we all are in this fight because we want to have a, a better america for the future generations to inherit but i feel like that maybe changes a little bit differently when you actually are raising you know the future of america a little bit look when you when you've got a family you got skin in the game right you every every one of us is going to be gone someday, right? You know, we're going to be a footnote to a footnote somewhere, but we're going to have that legacy on our world. We're going to have that, um, that spiritual and biological and physical remembrance of, of the rest of us through our children that goes throughout history and their children, etc. And so when you realize that we are just caretakers of, of everything, right? We're caretakers of our, you know, the, uh, the Bible tells asks us to be stewards. And so we're stewards of creation. That's not just from an environmental sense that I think people look at it as, but we're stewards of our culture. We're stewards of our society. We're stewards of our government, right? Our, our systems of governance. And so we need to look at these things from a perspective of, of are we doing these things in a good way? Are we doing? Th- are we leaving our economy in a way that's going to be successful for our kids? You know, we are in it. The United States is in a time of economic decline right now, right? And people need to understand that. And if they haven't looked at that, you know, you really have to. You know, you really have to look at things on a longer scale. And so, 
be clear and look at things with open eyes. Don't look at it through political blinders and say, well, my guy's here, so this is good, and my guy's there, this is better. You know, really understand the underpinnings of things and say, look, do we have decay in parts of our society? Are we teaching traditional morals? Are we using those best lessons learned that have guided us as a society for hundreds and thousands of years? Or are we trying to throw those aside and erect new uh, new ways of doing things, new ways of thinking, simply because we want to be radical? Or are we actually using the underpinnings of those who have come before us, those who have explained what works, learning actual history, finding out what's good and what's bad, and then being able to use that as sort of our our, you know, Occam's, not Occam's razor, but as our razor to go through what we're looking at today and making decisions that are for the betterment of our society. You know, they say, you know, they say a society is great when old man plant trees under which whose shade they will never sit, right? The idea of that we're looking, we're doing the things now, planting the seeds now that we're never going to be able to actually reap the rewards from, but because we actually care so much about the generations that come ahead of us, the generations that, or I should say, that come behind us, right? Then you're thinking forward. Then you're actually looking at setting up the world for success. And I really do think that, you know, I say it, be a rebel, have a family, right? Be a rebel, start a family, get skin in the game, Highly recommend it to everybody out there who's listening. It's an amazing thing. I love my kids. I love being a dad. Yeah, that's because that's so cool. That's so cool. So, as far as what you're working on as with human events, what was that? What was the tra- transition kind of like going kind of from the TV uh, correspondent role? Now you're writing a lot more, but I know that you said earlier big reader, so like probably not a huge transition for you there. What's what's it kind of been like switching that hat though? Well, it's, it's different, you know, it's a different medium, um, working at one American news, you know, which I have so much love for, uh, the whole team there, everybody there. And, you know, I've gone back as a guest a few times, but you know, you, it's definitely a grind right day in, day out, you know, you're traveling, you're being on camera, you're going to different places all the time. You're on the road a lot. Um, at least in my correspondent role, I was on the road a lot. And so switching from gears from that to a print medium, um, and now, you know, with the podcast opening up, it really kind of opens your aperture for what you're able to do. Um, the print world really doesn't have any restrictions on it in terms of, you know, person, place, time. You don't have to worry about, you know, is my, do I have enough lighting? Do I have a camera guy for this shoot? You know, you can get in, you can do your podcast, you can get your writing done wherever you are. And especially if you look at the way the world has become so different in terms of this these days, where, you know, you can have a podcast with anybody. If you just have a laptop and a camera or a microphone on you, you know, it's become very easy. And I think that is the way the world is going to where we're going to be having these more on-demand um, intellectual pieces of media as opposed to that sort of just 24 seven, I'm sitting and watching a screen all the time. I think that's where the world's going. Yeah. Yeah. I think like it's traditional media is so dead. Like now, like I, I'll tell you, I, I love Tucker Carlson, but when I see Tucker, it's literally from Twitter. You know, I'm not watching TV. No one my age is watching TV, but we're listening to podcasts. You know, we're, we're doing the streaming services, all of those things. And the media landscape is just so interesting to me because it's just like, I think it does create an opportunity for conservatives really to compete for the next generation and all of those things if we really go at it the right way. Um, I, you know, 
I know that you're a big China hawk, but I think TikTok, um, there's like, there's actually a huge conservative community on TikTok, which I found really interesting. I know there's like this group called the Republican Hype House. Um, they have 700,000 followers. They're all young people. And I really think it shows an opportunity for us to really make these inroads with the next generation in a way that maybe we previously didn't have the opportunity to do. And I think it starts with like, just making content and putting it where people are. Uh, and, and that's, and that's huge, especially with this new media landscape where it's just so different than it was even five years ago. You know, you can't tweet the way you used to and it's, it's ever evolving game, which is, which is good. But I think, uh, it definitely keeps you on your toes and keeps you, uh, keeps you, you, you gotta be adaptable to do this for sure. Oh, hundred percent. And so, you know, the, I'm somebody who, you know, if people follow me. You know, it's it's crazy to think that I've been on social media since 2005. I've been on Twitter for almost next year will be 10 years. So I'm coming up on 10 years on Twitter, and uh, and still going. What can I say? I mean, I, I suppose there's there's a lot worse things you could be addicted to. Uh, so you know, I still enjoy it. And um, you know, that being said, yeah, having a family, it gives you time where. You know, it's it's nice to unplug. It, you know, we live in in an area where we have some nature around us, and so we're able to get out and you know just ride our bikes and walk. And you know, I take my kids to the playground every day and just watch them grow and play, and you know, kind of teach them how to interact with other people. And so, I really enjoy having that ability to sort of schedule my work around my family's life and do it in such a way where it's I'm putting them first, but then I'm also able to use this sort of new media angle to also be able to have that impact as well as, as, as everything that's going on. I think right now, I think it's just that's more important than ever. You know, we see what we're up against. We see really just, you know, very clear eyed now the evil that we're up against. And it's going to take all of us fighting harder than we really ever had before. Well, when you look at that stuff, right? You, I mean, you know, uh, JD Vance has this line about the childless left. And, you know, you know I, I, he's a little bit trolly with it when he's doing that. But they don't stand for family values. They don't stand for goodness in the world, right? They, they're always pushing toxicity. They're pushing negative thoughts. They're, they want you to be mad against somebody. I mean, you've listened to this entire thing. Like uh, you give me every opportunity to blast Joe Biden and take him down and talk about the Democrats. But I'm, I, I'm really not like that. I, I'm a happy person, right? I'm, I'm all about loving my family, loving my world, loving my society and wanting to do things that are good, uplifting and positive for people and for families, right? And so that's the difference. If you're coming to stuff from a position of wanting to be altruistic and wanting to lead other people into abundance and having that mindset of, you know, the world is always open to possibilities, right? I think that is a huge cultural difference, you know, rather than splitting things up into just right and left. It's bigger than that. I think especially now it's like, you really do. It really does come down to who we are and what they and what they believe in, and it's just it's it's a moral battle at this point. It's not even just political. It's about the type of nation we wish to be, and and it's very reminiscent of I think uh, that line that Reagan said. It, like we are again at a time of choosing where we will have to decide what type of nation we're gonna be. Um, 
but it's gonna be it's gonna be a great fight. I think it's and it's gonna be this one. Yeah, by the way, and if there's you know if there's somebody with a D after their name, like a Tulsi Gabbard or whatever it is that is is talking about these same types of policies and it has stuff that they want to agree with us on, or you know, Glenn Greenwald, who's somebody who's a man of the left, but that you know, I found common cause on so many times, Matt Taibbi, etc. That you know, I, that's fine. You know, we can disagree on certain things, but if we can agree on those core issues and core values, then I think that we can all actually come together and move forward rather than just get locked into this sort of red versus blue fight that the mainstream would prefer us be in. That's how they get their clicks. It's how it's how they win. It's just by perpetuating this needless division. And I see it even here. It's 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 so interesting being a, you know, like I can't hide my conservatism at college like everyone knows that i'm a conservative i'm a republican all of those things and it's so interesting to me though like when i run into people on campus and they're liberal and they're like cj like i didn't expect you to be like normal or like you know be an okay human being and i'm just like well yeah like <laughs> like i'm sorry like yeah like i like donald trump but you know i like i have conservative beliefs but like the media has just put this idea in people's heads that really dehumanizes People that just disagree with one another. And I don't think it's, it's not that bad. Like America doesn't have to be that bad. It's a choice for us to be this divided. And I think that obviously there are people with that blood on their hands who have created that division. But I think what we see is just that there's so much like there's so much more for us to really coalesce behind and around, especially when we are having these fights like we are today, where it's just it's just it's it's it's, it's evil versus good, good versus bad. Like, it's very clear, you know, and I think there's definitely a lot more common ground than we believe. And I think that's very interesting for you to say that, too, because I think you probably people would accuse you the same thing of just being this partisan guy. But but really, you're more than that. Amen. Don't know what else to add to that. Just amen. (laughs) Well, man, Jack, I really appreciate you uh, for hopping on the podcast. It's always great to chop it up with you. And we'll definitely have to have you back. But thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate it, CJ. Much much love and all the success on the podcast and all your endeavors. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. Well, guys, that was Jack Posobiec. Always great to chat with him. Literally one of the smartest human beings I know. Um, you can definitely hear that from that conversation. And, and, and he made a lot of really good points. You know, oftentimes here we talk about Joe Biden. We talk about Kamala Harris. We talk about the Democrats. But it's bigger than that. It's about what they represent. Right now, these people are just vessels for what the left is trying to accomplish in this country. They're just chess pieces, pawns on a board. But what's really, really frightening and should frighten everyone is what the left is trying to accomplish in this country today. They're trying to take God out of this country. They're trying to take morality out of this country. They're trying to turn us against each other Tell us that we need to take be like these these experimental lab rats, all these things. The left is looking to control us today. That is what's scary. That's what we should be calling out. That's what we should be fighting back against. It's not just about Biden because there will be another Biden in 10 years. There will be another Kamala in 10 years. There will be another one of these empty vessels being used by these invisible hands who aren't really all that invisible. George Soros is his name. But like these people will come and go, but their ideals, their ideals are what we need to exterminate. Their ideals are what we need to fight against. Once we do that, once we win that fight, we win. We win. Well, guys, I will see you next week right here on iHeartRadio, 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, And we'll chop it up next week. I'll see you guys soon. Hey guys, CJ Pearson here. Join us right here on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts for the same hard-hitting truth because we'll never stop fighting for you. Right here on CJ Pearson Uncensored. CJ Pearson Uncensored, part of the Gingrich 360 Network.